1: Let's stand and sing together, Only a Holy God. It will be on the screens behind me. Commands all the hosts of heaven who else could make every king bow down? Who else can whisper and darkness trembles? Only a holy God, what other beauty Such praises, what other splendor outshines the sun? What other majesty rules with justice? Only a glory consumes like fire what other power can raise the dead what other name remains undefeated the holy God who else could rescue me from my failing who else would offer his only son who else invites me to call
2: let us uh, turn together to the book of matthew chapter 28 verses 16 to 20. again that's matthew 28 uh, verses 16 to 20. hear now the word of god now the eleven disciples went to galilee to the mountain to which jesus had directed them And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Let's pray together. O oh Lord, how can we help but adore you? While we were still sinners, while we hated you with our every fiber of our being, you sent Christ to die for us. Not only that, you sent Christ for your saints, sorry, <clears throat> not only that, but you sent your saints to proclaim the gospel to all nations. Including us, you preserved your gospel for generation upon generation to bring it to us. And despite all this, Lord, we would have hardened our hearts if you had not taken away our stony hearts and given us hearts of flesh. O oh Lord, how can we help but adore you for all the good that you have done for us? And yet, Lord, so often, even now, we find ourselves like the children of Israel. Instead of turning back and praising you for what you have done, So often we forget. We forget that you provide for us. We we forget that you guide our every step. And so often we turn aside. We accuse you. We doubt you. Lord, we pray that you will forgive us our sins, that you will work in us, cause us to believe, cause us to long for you, cause us to trust in you. And Lord, as your word has just said, you have commissioned us, you have ordered us to go into all the world and to make disciples and to teach them all that you have commanded us. Lord, we pray that you would stir all of us in our hearts, stir us to uh, proclaim your gospel, First, to our children, to our families. Lord, I pray that you would not uh, let us be content with just sending them to Sunday school or to uh, a summer camp. Uh, even though those are great things, Lord, I pray that you would uh, cause us all to long to teach them your ways. Not just not just that Christ died for them, but also all the things that Christ has taught us. Lord, we pray uh, not only for our families, but uh, for all of us in this church, that we would seek to spur each other on to love and good deeds, help us uh, to encourage each other, uh, to speak the gospel to each other, Lord, I pray that you would help us, even after this service, uh, to reach out to each other and to encourage each other. Lord, I pray not only uh, for this church, but for uh, churches around. Uh, We praise you that you have blessed us, that we do not have to stand alone, but there are other gospel-believing and God-glorifying churches around I think especially of Trinity Community Church. Lord, we pray for uh, Chris Spano and all of the elders there that you would not give them fear, but give them courage to teach their people all of the counsel of God, and that you would uh, use them to equip the saints at that church, that they may spread the gospel uh, throughout all of Bowie and all of this region. Lord, we pray that even now, as they uh, prepare to preach your word, that you would let them do it boldly, and that you would use uh, churches like Trinity to spread your gospel throughout the entire state of Maryland, and spread it throughout our entire land, and from that throughout the entire world. Lord, we pray for our missionaries who uh, are spreading the word throughout the world. Uh, We think of Mike Christ in Africa as he is seeking to equip men to preach you, your word. Uh, Give him wisdom uh, as he teaches these men. Uh, Work there mightily, we pray. And finally, Lord, we pray for uh, Steve as In just a few minutes, he is going to uh, bring your word to us. We pray that uh, you will work through him mightily, that he will not fear to bring your word to your people. Lord, we pray that he will preach with full conviction that he is bringing your word uh, to us. We ask also that you will work in our hearts that we will not harden our hearts against your word, Lord. Even now, Lord, we pray that you will give us a longing to hear and receive your word and to put it into practice, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
1: Let's stand and sing from the hymnal number 463, Rock of Ages, Cleft for Me. rock of ages left for me let me hide myself in thee let the I draw.
0: Well, good morning. Turn with me, if you will, to Luke chapter 9. Luke 9, and we'll read this morning verses 1 through 9. Luke chapter 9, verses 1 through 9. And he called the twelve together and gave them power... This is the word of our Lord. Let's pray. Our gracious Father, we pray now that you would, by your good word, apply to us the good truth herein by your Spirit. And Lord, may we, your people, grow in goodness, grow in holiness, and grow in our obedience to follow Christ, and indeed to go out as he sends us out to the ends of this community and to the ends of the world, preaching the coming kingdom of our Savior. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, what we see here this morning in this passage is a dress rehearsal for the book of Acts. Later, after Pentecost, and after the apostles are filled and indwelt by the Holy Spirit, they will take the gospel and preach the gospel throughout the Roman world, and they will do so with incredible power. The book of Acts is not, properly speaking, a book about how the apostles go and spread the gospel and plant churches. The book of Acts is about how Jesus, by the power and presence of His Spirit, how Jesus spreads the gospel and plants churches. Like, that's it. That's what we're going to read when we get to the book of Acts. But that extraordinary work of God will be done through ordinary men and women of God. And here this morning, we see the dress rehearsal for these ordinary men who we know as the Apostles. This is something of an internship for what we will later see the apostles do. Now, before we get into the nuts and bolts, first I just want you to notice Luke's use of verbs. Verbs specifically attributed to Jesus in verses 1 through 2. And he called the twelve together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. Jesus Called the twelve. Jesus gave power and authority, and Jesus sent them to preach. He called, gave, sent. This is Christianity 101 right here. Every person who is a Christian is so because they've been called. Called by God to saving faith and called to now obey Jesus. But when he calls, he also empowers Every Christian is empowered by Christ and gifted in Christ for authoritative ministry. And every Christian is sent by Christ, sent into whatever station of life God has you in to proclaim the gospel. What we see here in verses 1 and 2 is really the blueprint for what God will do throughout the entire world with every Christian until Christ comes back. Now, to be sure... The calling and empowering and sending looks a little different here because these are the apostles, men who were uniquely gifted for a unique moment in redemptive history to establish the church. In other words, the empowerment to heal and cast out demons seems to be a unique gift given to the particular men for a specific purpose of establishing their work as apostles. The major work was preaching the gospel. This was also Jesus' major work throughout his ministry. But the power to heal and and, and the authority to cast out demons, that corroborated what the apostles were preaching. The healing and the power was a sign. It was a badge that gave legitimacy to their message. When a man knocks on your door in the morning and says, I want to talk with so-and-so, Unless they flash an FBI badge, you just shut the door and say, I don't want a new roof. (laughs) The healing was miraculous. The exorcisms were powerful. But the healing and the exorcisms weren't the end-all, be-all. People who got healed by the apostles, they'd get sick again. All of them would eventually die. But when they believed the gospel, none of that mattered. The truth of the gospel that was preached, that would never be taken away from them. So the healing and the exorcisms were just the side effects to corroborate the main package, which was the gospel. Again, the authority to cast out demons. Well, this was just continued evidence that the kingdom of darkness was being conquered by the kingdom of God, and that wherever the name of Jesus went... Demonic strongholds were being broken down. It was evidence that the kingdom of God involves trampling Satan's power and restoring people to wholeness. This was all a preview of the way things ought to be. Now, does this still happen today? Yes and no. Though we do not have the gift of healing like the apostles did, God does still miraculously heal in answer to our prayers. And so when Christians gather together to pray like we do every Sunday evening, and Christ who is with us Sunday evening and amongst us by His Spirit, but also personally interceding at the right hand of the Father, well, guess what? God listens to our prayers and loves to answer those prayers, and He will heal in His good sovereign providence. Likewise, I do not think we see many instances of casting out demons like the apostles would have, since demonic activity would have been most intense around the time of Christ. As the church spread, so too did demonic activity diminish. As the church spread, you see demonic activity diminish. Nonetheless, I think we can say, or at least I want to say, as our society and culture perhaps becomes less and less grounded in the truth of the gospel i don't think it's at all a stretch to see more demonic activity now like we might see in parts of the world where the gospel is not yet reached but even here our authority will look different it will look more like churches gathering to pray for people and simply giving them the gospel and as they hear and believe in jesus then they'll find spiritual freedom The authoritative commands that Jesus exercised over demons came from an authority grounded in his being the son of God. I'm not the son of God, and so I don't expect to be able to do what he did with demons. Any authority the apostles had was a derivative of that. But for us, if we're to have any power to save people from being under Satan's control, I think passages like 2 Timothy 2:24 and 25 are more appropriate. Do you know that passage where Paul says this? The Lord's servants must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil, after being captured by him to do his will. Our power and authority doesn't look like loud commands and Hollywood movie battles against darkness, but gentle and patient praying and preaching and teaching of the Bible and the gospel. What does look the same, and indeed I think does look greater, even greater than the Jesus uh, uh um, the the preaching of Jesus and the preaching of the apostles is our being sent out if there's a difference between their healing and their exorcisms what's what's same but maybe even different and better for us is our being evangelistic witnesses for Christ and his coming kingdom Jesus says you will do greater works than these and those greater works are our evangelizing the world what for Jesus only went to the limits of Jerusalem. And for the apostles, only went to the limits of uh, Galilee and and parts of the Roman Empire. For us, are being taken to the very ends of this planet Earth. Children, the very first question in your bulletin asks, what does it mean to be sent by Jesus? What does it mean to be sent by Jesus? And here's the simple answer. Go and tell. Go and tell. And tell we are all sent to go and to tell everyone about Jesus Christ and his coming kingdom to tell people to repent and to believe in him and here's here's the miraculous thing we may not be able like the Apostles and Jesus to lay our hands on people and heal them we may never come into a moment where where we see demonic activity but we will see people come to faith in Jesus Christ. And as we go out and tell them, the miraculous thing is that they're spiritually born again and they are released from the power of Satan blinding them and they believe in Jesus and they follow him and they join churches and God's kingdom grows. Dear friends, that's, that's the exciting thing that we should get from here. This blueprint, this, this internship of the Apostles We shouldn't be wowed by the first two. We should be wowed by the preaching and the sending and the telling. A bit off track here, but I'm sure many are curious about the implications of a text like this for us today. If you're a Christian, then yes, you are called and empowered and sent, but there's not a one-to-one equivalency here between what Jesus does with the disciples and you. This text is about Jesus sending his 12 apostles to train them to be apostles. We are not apostles. So there's a significant difference. Nonetheless, I want to highlight that it must have been very encouraging to the apostles to experience for themselves what they've so far only seen Jesus do. Think about it. Up through now, they've just been following Jesus and it's been one surprise moment after another. Jesus can do that. Jesus can do that. Whoa, did you see Jesus do that? And now, he empowers and gives them to begin doing some of the same thing. Jesus had commissioned them and empowered them to heal and to exercise demons and to preach what Jesus had been preaching. Do you see? Jesus was including them in his kingdom work. He was broadening the influence of his kingdom to others. The kingdom would not just grow through what Jesus did alone, but through what Jesus was now doing in and through a growing group of people. And that's still continuing today. But Luke, I think, is clear. They're still dependent upon him. Yes, they can now do what he did, but don't get it backwards. Everything that they were doing was in reliance upon the king of the kingdom. Jesus called them. Jesus empowered them. And it was Jesus who set the terms of what it was they were to preach. That's just a good reminder for us. No one is in the kingdom of Christ and a part of the church because Jesus has saw you and said, wow, I just have to have you and your gifts. Everyone here is here because Jesus said, they don't know it yet, but I'm going to make them be what they are not now. And so if we ever get to the moment where we think, man, I'm going to grow this kingdom. I'm going to grow this church because of what I bring to the table. You've already missed the bus. You're already outside the blueprint of what Jesus is doing here. It's his empowering that gets the ball rolling. Jesus so wanted them to be reliant upon his own sufficiency that he commanded them not even to bring anything for their journey. Look at verse three. No staff, no bag, no bread, no money, not even an extra tunic. In other words, the, the apostolic ministry was one not consumed with worldly comforts, but consistently focused on heavenly truth. They were Jesus's sent ones, his apostles. That's what a, an apostle means. And just as Jesus was sent into the world poor, And without much in way of worldly comforts, all in service to pointing his hearers toward heaven, so too would his apostles. Foxes have holes and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head, and so too should it be for his apostles. Verse 4. Whatever house you enter, stay there, and from there depart. Kent Hughes writes in his commentary, Comfort seekers have never done anything for Christ and his kingdom. A committed life is an uncomfortable life. It is sometimes a tired life because it will put itself out for others. That's a convicting word, I think, for all of us, especially here in the the West. It's very easy to fall into a mode of comfort talking with a friend this past week about the purpose of money. Uh, Money is a a blessing that God gives to all people, and and, and God gives some more to others uh, than than he does, and and others have less. But, But the role of money is not primarily to ask, what can I do now to fulfill my needs? The role of money is to ask the question, what can I do with this to make Christ look great? to make Christ look great. It is a great tool, just like a cell phone, just like a car, just like a house, just like anything else that we have that's a good tool. And we can warp that tool to our own desired ends or we can conform our desired ends to the kingdom of Christ and use all the tools that God blesses us to that end. Friends, I think Kent Hughes is right. Comfort seekers have never done anything for Christ in his kingdom. The point is that This simplicity, this bare-bones ministry of preaching and prayer would safeguard the apostles, and it should safeguard us from relying on anything other than Jesus. No bread, no bag, no staff, no money. Jesus was their protection. Jesus was their sustenance. Jesus was their reward. There's a warning here for those pastors and preachers who work hard to build big churches so that they can drive nice cars. Here was a ministry designed that they depend on God and not themselves. Designed that they long for the fullness of the coming kingdom of heaven and not get full and satisfied from the decaying decadence of this world. Something better was coming. And until that time, the sufferings of this world, says Paul, are not worth comparing with the glory of what will be in the coming kingdom of heaven. There's something here in this passage, too, of what is being preached. I think Luke is cluing us in to the importance of their authoritative message. Do you see the clue? Luke begins the passage with King Jesus commissioning his 12 ambassadors, bestowing upon them his royal seal, as it were, and that they have something of his power and authority. And it's all to corroborate their message, or that is, his message. That message, Luke tells us in verse 2, was all about the kingdom of God. So, So get that in your head. This whole passage starts with the king deputizing ambassadors to proclaim the kingdom. And how does the passage end? With a royal ruler disturbed and curious about this king and his coming kingdom. In other words, Luke is showing us that the preaching and proclamation of the gospel of the kingdom of God and the sure reign of its king, Jesus Christ, evidence of his sure reign seen in that even his ambassadors are healing people and driving away spiritual forces. This message reverberated all the way into the top echelons of the current world government. Even Herod the Tetrarch was unsettled at what they were doing. I point this out to highlight what the preaching was. It was the proclamation that a kingdom, the kingdom, had arrived. Kingdom power indicates a kingdom presence, and the sovereign reign of God in and through Jesus, his son, was now making headway into this world. It was a political message through and through, but one the world had never quite heard. Rather than a strong army invading from the outside and forcing all men and women to submit to the sword or die. Here the king was born from the inside and he was taking over through loving others and calling them to repent of their sin and trust in him because he died. What a reversal. And that's what the apostles would have preached. Here they didn't quite get the cross part yet, but they did preach a coming kingdom. Repent and follow after our King and Savior. Jesus is his name. He's here. He's ruling and one day his inevitable reign will be seen by all. So come to him now. Perhaps they, 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 they pulled open their scrolls and preached Psalm 2. Serve the Lord with fear. Rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son lest he be angry and you perish in the way. For his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. Perhaps you don't like the political angle of all this. You feel uncomfortable thinking about the gospel as something political. Steve, we're, we're consumed with politics. I come to church to get away from politics. Kings against kings, geopolitics. Can't we just preach the love of Jesus? But notice how Luke himself equates the preaching of the kingdom of God with the preaching of the gospel. In verse 2, look there at verse 2, it's referred to as proclaiming the kingdom of God. The word proclaim in the Greek is cariso, which is a very political activity. It was court heralds who did cariso. But look at verse 6. Luke 6, Luke says that the apostles went through the village preaching the gospel and healing everyone. They're doing what Jesus sent them to do, and Luke sees the preaching of the gospel as the politically charged proclaiming of the kingdom. But don't forget, the word gospel means good news. The political proclamation was a heralding of good news. A new kingdom was present, one which didn't decay into power politics and selfishness, which didn't make its citizens pitiful slaves in despair and darkness, but a kingdom which was all light and filled, not only with citizens who truly love each other, But a king who is the very definition of love himself, Jesus, the Son of God, God is love. It's politics, but a heavenly politics. Something radically different from this world. If you're here this morning, and you're not a Christian, I want to invite you, I want to call you to not only hear that this good news is still being proclaimed now, but to have you look around Look around right now and see it in action. Churches that believe this gospel are increasingly churches that look like a diverse group of people that out in the world ought not fit together nor sit together every Sunday morning. There are people here from every socio-economic scale on the ladder. Every age, every diversity of race and ethnicity. We're people from all over the education spectrum. PhDs, and folks who who, have not even graduated high school. We have people who lean politically one way and lean politically the other. And yet within that diversity, there is an increased love and unity surrounded in our love for and reliance upon Jesus Christ. If you cannot see a radically new, heavenly-infused politics here, You're not going to find it anywhere else. And I'm saying to you, you do find it here. This is it. This is the breaking in of a heavenly politics that transcends all the crap and muddled mess of the world out there. The rest of this passage is taken up with how the gospel will be received. When Jesus gave the apostles their instructions... He obviously attached special importance to the way people responded to that proclamation. You can't just preach it and and say, hey, give me a Yelp review later. There's a response that needed to happen. Some would receive the gospel in good faith. They would welcome the apostles into their homes and believe the gospel of the kingdom. And no doubt the apostles would, over dinner, teach them more about Jesus. And then they would move on to the next house. But others would not even give them basic hospitality. Phil Riken is right when he says that this was more than bad manners. It was a rejection of God and his gospel. Remember, the apostles here are ambassadors. They're representatives of Jesus Christ. To reject them, therefore, was to reject Christ himself. To reject any preacher of the gospel is to reject Christ himself. Jesus told his apostles what to do when people rejected them. Verse 5, wherever they do not receive you, when you leave that town, shake off the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. This gesture amounted to a public rebuke. In effect, the apostles were to reject the town the same way that the town had rejected them and rejected the coming king. Shaking dust off their feet was a sign that people in that community were outside the kingdom of God. Leon Morris, in his commentary, says this. There was a rabbinic idea that the dust of Gentile lands carried defilement. Think about the land of Canaan, and Jews loved that land, and any land or even dust outside of that promised land was a defiled land. And so strict Jews are said to have removed it from their shoes whenever they returned to Palestine from abroad. The disciples, shaking off the dust from their feet, declared in symbol that Israelites who rejected the kingdom were no better than Gentiles. We spent this past week at the beach, and I've never seen more particular care to every dust and grain of sand than my wife getting it off the kids' feet before we got back in the car. It's a rejection that the beach does not belong in the car. (laughs) This dusting off of the the feet was a rejection that you are saying you do not belong within Christ's kingdom. They did not belong to the people, and this was a matter of spiritual life and death. It was a, a final preaching in symbolic sacramental act. You've rejected what we've said, so look at this and be warned. Christ is this close to rejecting you. And because these people rejected the apostles, they were cut off from the Christ of the apostles. The same thing happens whenever we preach the gospel today, folks. We proclaim the forgiveness of sins. We proclaim the free gift of eternal life through the crucifixion and resurrection of our Lord. And people respond to this message in different ways. Some people believe it and they're saved and, and they commit themselves to following after Christ and their whole life is changed while others reject it to their own condemnation. And that's a scary place to be because a continued rejection is more and more evidence that Christ himself may be shaking off the dust from his own feet. And let us not be confused that a curiosity for Jesus is the same thing as wanting to believe in Jesus. Even to be curious about him is dangerous ground. Look at verses 7 through 9. Now Herod the Tetrarch heard about all that was happening, and he was perplexed because it was said by some that John had been raised from the dead, by some that Elijah had appeared, and by others that one of the prophets of old had risen. Herod said, John I beheaded, but who is this about whom I hear such things? And he sought to see him. There was a curiosity there. He wanted to know more about this Jesus. But we know how the Gospel of Luke ends. Herod never gets it right. He was always curious but never repentant. And in the end, he will robe Jesus in a scarlet robe and put a crown of thrones on him and send him out to be crucified. Jesus will not allow himself to be examined like a science fair project. He is a king to be submitted to immediately. This is what we sang in our first song this morning that we come to him as a king and we submit ourselves as citizens to his coming kingdom. Friends, if you're here this morning and Christ is still a curiosity to you, an interesting object of history to look at and, and perhaps some fun philosophical questions to examine, you are still outside of the king. And I I implore you and I plead with you, as one sent by Christ himself, repent, believe, and follow after him with fullness of faith. Children, the second question in your children's bulletin asks, how should we respond to Jesus? How should we respond to Jesus? And the answer is, I, I should repent of my sin and believe in Jesus. I should repent of my sin and believe in Jesus. This is what Herod failed to do. Perhaps you're struck by verse 9 where Herod said, John, I beheaded, but who is this about whom I hear such things? I think we should take encouragement in this. Here we see the gospel and politics in action. Herod already killed his first preacher because he hated the politics of it. He beheaded him. And here he brings that up. He says, I thought I killed this man. Who is this who's preaching that same kingdom? Uh, Dear friends, here's the irony of the gospel if you're a believer be encouraged. The kings of this world will do whatever they can to stomp out the truth of the gospel. And yet, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. We are God's divine whack a mole. <laughs> As one king puts down a group of Christians here, God promises that he will raise up another group there. The gates of hell will never overcome Christ's kingdom, and we persevere. And even if we are the blessed ones who die underneath the sword of some king or some governing power. Jesus, who is the king of kings, who also died under the same sort of governmental power, showed us that in three days when he raised from the dead and then ascended to the right hand of the father, he secured for us what will be true for us. So perhaps you're afraid that being sent and preaching the gospel will bring harm and damage to you. Can I encourage you with this ironic promise? It will. Don't stop. Don't stop and preach. And perhaps the Lord might even allow you to experience what He experienced. But you can courageously Faithfully, even awkwardly, as you stumble through it, give the gospel knowing that I will be raised and resurrected with him and enter into his kingdom. He will never dust you off of his feet. Let's pray.
3: Let's pray together now in response to the word that we've just heard preached. Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you again this Lord's Day for allowing us to gather once again and worship the holy triune God of the Bible. Father, you are the one and only God. And you deserve our praise and our worship our adoration father we thank you this morning as we see this passage for the apostles for the twelve that you've called to build your church upon for the words that they've given us in your scripture so that we might know our Savior and our God Jesus Christ and father not only for those foundational apostles but we also thank you for the elders of the church that you've given to continue to protect and teach and raise up and train the church. We thank you for Pastor Unthank and his faithful dedication to preaching and teaching and to protect us from false gospels. And Father, we are not exactly like the apostles. We are not apostles at all. But Father, we are given this same calling, the same empowering, and the same commission of being sent out to preach your gospel. Father, we are called to salvation, to reconciliation, to a holy God. We are called out of the darkness and away from our sin. And Father, we are called to bow down before our King and Savior, Jesus Christ. Father, we pray by grace that you would give us all of these things. And Father, not only this, but you've also empowered us and given us grace by your Holy Spirit. By doing so, giving us the ability to know the truth, to understand your word, to hear your calling of salvation. And so, Father, now we need to, in obedience, allow us in obedience to go out and proclaim your gospel as you have sent us. Do not allow us to fear what might come upon us by preaching the truth, of your word. Father, allow us to proclaim the gospel in love, love for our neighbors, love for our family and friends who don't know you or are still separated by sin from you. But Father, we know that the gospel is the power of God of salvation given to everyone who believes. And Father, you have given us this awkward way of loving our neighbor by telling them by sitting down with friends and family that we love and having a conversation explaining who Christ is, what he has done for the world, and that, Father, all by who put their faith in Christ will be saved. Father, we pray now that by your Spirit as we go out, as we're faithful in obeying you and proclaiming the gospel, that by your Spirit you would open the ears and the eyes of those who this church comes in contact with. Father, that our friends, our family, our neighbors here in Greenbelt and around the area, Father, you would open their ears, that like when Paul sees the gospel, the scales of sin would fall away from our eyes or their eyes and their ears, and that by your spirit their heart would be renewed. Father, I pray this not only for those outside the church who we proclaim to, but those friends, those brothers and sisters, those who we call brothers and sisters right here in the church who come, who sit with us, who hear the word preached, but have not yet put their faith in Christ. Maybe visiting for the first time, maybe coming for years, trying to be faithful in obedience, but never really trusting in Christ. We trust in our own righteousness, our own works. We compare ourselves to those who we think sin more, but yet we do not put our faith in Christ. Father, I pray for those like this here this morning. Father, we know that your word does not return void. The gospel goes out to ears, to minds, to hearts. And Father, by your spirit, It is either effectual on change in our hearts or, Father, you harden and bring judgment. Father, we pray this morning for salvation from the word preached here this morning. We pray for repentance and trust in Christ. And I pray for that all here, under the sound of Steve's preaching this morning, Father, would bow the knee to Christ this morning and trust fully in our Savior. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.
1: Let's stand and sing together from the hymnal number 40. All people that on earth do dwell. his sheep he doth us take oh enter then his gates with praise approach with joy his courts unto praise loud and bless his Oh, here below. Praise him above ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. You may be seated for announcements.
3: We have a, a few brief announcements this morning. Uh, the first one is going to be on the PGCRT conference that's coming up, and Steve's gonna come up and give us a quick update.
0: Uh, just a reminder that uh, in two months time, at the end of September, September 23rd and 24th, let's say Friday and Saturday, uh, we are hosting here at Greenbelt Baptist Church, the first ever Prince George's Conference on Reformed Theology. We will have uh, two speakers uh, from out of town, J.V. Fesco of Reformed Theological Seminary in Mississippi, and Craig Carter, uh, who's a Baptist theologian from Canada, as well as local pastor Chris Spano, uh, all talking on the necessity for creeds within the local church. So why is it good to know and confess the Apostles' Creed, the Nicene Creed, and the Chalcedonian Creed? Uh, and that will be a Friday evening uh, and uh, all day Saturday right here at church. Sign up for that conference. is already live online, and so you can go to um, alliance.net. Alliance.net, I believe it is, or the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. Uh, and if you're wanting to volunteer and help uh, at the conference, maybe man the book table or help with hospitality uh, or help with parking, uh, because I'm sure we will have a number of attendees and visitors from out of town. Uh, as I last checked, I think uh, emails have gone out to um, uh, people who uh, know about the alliance worldwide, at least here in the uh, uh, throughout the United States and advertisements are going to all major newspapers. You might hear it if you listen to Christian radio, there'll probably be some spots on the radio. So we will need some help uh, showing hospitality to uh, the many visitors who will be coming. And if you'd like to help with that, please talk to myself after the service or later in the week. Uh, But do put that on your calendar for September 23rd and 24th. Thank you, Steve. Uh, there is a
3: cost associated with registration, and if you are interested in coming, but the cost is prohibitive to you, you can come talk to any of the elders or to Dawn, and we would like to try to help out with that so that you'd be able to come if the cost would be a, an issue for you. Uh, the next announcement, uh, we have the Labor Day Festival coming up, um, and this uh, afternoon, to, right after this service, there's going to be a meeting right here in the sanctuary that Daniel is going to be heading up about um, if we want to participate in the parade portion of the Labor Day Festival. Uh, Daniel's trying to just gauge the enthusiasm, the uh, uh, commitment to uh, participating. If we do it, I know he wants it to be um, a a success, or at least that we put a lot of effort and and, uh, try to commit to it. So it's going to be a meeting directly after this service right here in the sanctuary on um, if we're going to participate in the parade portion of the Labor Day Festival coming up. Uh, There is evening service tonight right here at 6 p.m. You have the opportunity to come and pray together as a congregation, pray for one another, pray for the spread of evangelism, and also as a short uh, sermon in that service as well. And then um, the, the, the Labor Day Festival, the dates are Friday, September 2nd to Monday, September 5th. All right, if you'd stand now for this morning's benediction.